How's it going, Higher Side Chatters? You know, I'm not normally one to delay this sweet, sweet Higher Side action, but I just feel a real need to preface the next few shows with a little THC update. It seems that we've finally shown up on YouTube's radar, and after waking up to the removal of a Sophia Smallstorm episode about Sandy Hook from 2013, I'm sure it won't be long before other shows in the archive trigger a removal as well, and ultimately, I think the YouTube days are numbered for us. I'm not going to appeal, I'm not going to complain, they're a private company, and if they don't want me, I'm not going to beg them to stay. I just want to get out in front of this and inform the listeners as to what's going on and request that you don't use YouTube to listen to the show, or if you do and we suddenly disappear, just know that the show can always be found at thehiresidechats.com or via pretty much any podcasting app. You owe it to yourself with this kind of content to probably use a less centralized method of listening. The YouTube portion of the audience is definitely one of the smaller segments for us, but it still accounts for thousands of people that I'd hate to see go away. So don't let them tear us apart, dear listeners. And while this is a relatively small issue and I'm not trying to be dramatic, it does cause me concern over what the next five or ten years could look like. And I think I'm usually pretty low-key about promoting THC+, but I suppose I should take the opportunity while I have it. If you value the show, please sign up to hear the full two-hour version at thehiresidechatsplus.com rather than just listening to the free hour. As much as I pack into those free hours, imagine what you're leaving on the table with the second. It's only five bucks for five shows a month, and I really want to insulate the Higher Side Chats from any potential trouble down the road. I'm sure, given my situation, given the content we get into, you can understand. And with that... Let's do the damn thing. The planet's puppet masters almost surely have a plan. There's clearly maybe something there beyond the realm of man. Until we've thoroughly tested every last close-chested view. Find the more you think you know, unless you really do. Where would we be without THC? We know the lying to us, just don't know to what degree. Where would we be without THC? The highest chat show. Great Carl Wood and Company. How's it going, Higher Side Chatters? I hope you're in the mood for something outside of the box today, because in what is one of the more creative shows in a while, we have a guest who speaks largely in verse. A character cut from the same cloth as Dr. Seuss or Shel Silverstein, a modern-day bardette who is a real ally in that oh-so-critical call to re-enchant the world and the word alike. A character who injects a little fantasy back into the purview and spits in the face of cog-in-the-wheel consensus reality. And when you listen to the depth of her prose, there is a ton that I think rings pretty harmonious with what I consider the higher side mindset. A lot of lines with a certain wisdom that I think will probably stick with you for a while, 
And in an age where most of these true-life storybook heroes have died out only to be replaced with loud and flashing CGI cartoons that lack a certain charm that most of us can remember from the pre-digitized era. And I think it's a refreshing re-emergence. There's also a kind of darkness to it. And you'll hear how positive Laurel is and think, what are you talking about, G-Car? A darkness. But it's that sort of grim heaviness and raw honesty that used to be in these stories and nursery rhymes that we were told. A willingness to include the morbid reality of death, the slavery of the nine-to-five life, a renouncement of authority and hierarchy even at times. And of course, the gentle ribbing at adults and that they've gone the way of the sheep and grown-ups have lost touch with the enlightening magic and mystery of those formative years. So I would say, keep that spirit in mind for this show, and I think you'll have a good time. Also, the only Higher Side Chats guest in our long history to send me a thank you card. I think my heart grew three sizes that day, and I was ready to carve the roast beast. Very kind. Also, towards the end, Laurel mentions in passing that she recites these from memory, which is even more impressive, but let's get into it. Bringing in some levity to a heavy world, some fairy magic to the land of plastic, some new nursery rhymes for our troubled times. Laurel Erica. It's the Higher Side Chats Podcast, but you can call it THC. Always talking fringe ideas, digging up conspiracies. Stuff they don't want you to know, it's the stuff we want to see. That's life here on the Higher Side. It's the place for me, it's my favorite show, where the guests are great, and my mind gets blown, the higher side, love the higher side, raise your glass and toast to Carl Wood, the host, on the higher side chat show. That's life here on the higher side. All right, higher side chatters, as we explore the layers of our existence, we continue to see just how flexible the world around us really is. And it seems more and more clear that this isn't quite the immovable material matrix it's marketed as in the mainstream. In fact, it's become obvious that we're conveniently force-fed a worldview designed to make us feel powerless and insignificant, which starts to break down the more one pushes on the walls of reality. And when we examine the remnants of civilization's past, we find resonating stone structures that leave us scratching our ignorant heads. We see traditions of mind-altering compounds mixed with rhythmic song and dance at the very heart of these cultures and uncover lost magical grimoires that emphasize the importance of speaking the spirits' names loudly and proudly, all suggesting some rather strange effects and benefits from something as simple as sound and word. Fast forward to our modern times and we hear about the power of positive thought, but what if a negative polarity is built right into our very vocabulary? What if the English language itself has been an instrument of weaponized wordplay that energetically has us walking through quicksand rather than thriving at our fullest? Well, these are just some of the ideas in the mix when it comes to the work of today's guest, Laurel Erica. She's the creator of Word Magic Global, a mind-bending, paradigm-shifting reintroduction to the English language that brings to light the hidden philosophy in puns and the symbols of the alphabet by revealing the secret spells of the English language with which we write our own life sentences 
and these sacred path words pointing towards our liberation. She shows in verse and prose how we can collectively, creatively, and quite rapidly upgrade the English language to facilitate our essential evolution from humankind to human kindness. She's been a TEDx speaker and has self-published two books, Horsing Around, The Inside Word on Marriage and Horses, and also Word Magic, wordplay that puts a new spin on the world. Known as the metaphysical mother goose, the teacher of linguistic synchronicity, and the alphabetical alchemist, Laurel Erica, welcome to the higher side. Oh my goodness. <laughs> that was like phenomenal. <laughs> oh, it's a word salad. I got it out though. Oh, you are outstanding. Ah, uh, too kind. <laughs> Bravo. My goodness. Thank you for that amazing introduction. So phenomenally done. Well, I appreciate that. And thanks for being here. I'm really psyched about this. I definitely have a fondness for wordplay. And we've probably all noticed the curious double meaning of spells and spelling or the twisted nature of legalese. But your work really takes it to a new level. And I guess to kick this off, how did this journey start? When did you really start looking under the hood of language like you do? It seems pretty unique. Oh, thank you very much. Words were my favorite plaything when I was a little girl. I spoke very early, was certain that I knew all the words in the language by the time I was three or four, mm -hmm. and started looking at unusual linguistic phenomena pretty early. I can't remember. I know that as a four-year-old, I was fascinated by the fact that the word level is a palindrome, that it's a level word, front and back, with the V as the wedge that connects and divides. Yeah. So I also noticed that parallel, when a little bit older, parallel has three parallel lines, opposite begins with opposites, O-P-P-O, that there was all of this kind of mirror world to look into where the language was like a fractal mirroring different states of consciousness. And I found it rather complicated. However, I was trained by what it was I had to overcome in my childhood, which were two people who were so out of touch with reality and so vocal and adamant about it. It was very challenging. But in finding my way through the labyrinth of that confusion, I started hearing echoes of it in the language itself. So started moving into the, through what a friend calls echolocution, started finding my way through the echo tunnels of the English language and came out with some very interesting reflections. Hmm. Yes, I really like that level is a level word. Parallel has parallel lines in it. And it does seem like one of those realms we completely take for granted what do you think, uh, now that you've studied it so deeply, what about the impact of the words we use? Maybe there's some uh, subconscious elements that we don't fully process, wouldn't you say? Oh, absolutely. So, uh, let's see. Whether to take the long way around this question or directly. I mean, the direct answer would be yes. The long way around, which I think is a more interesting way, is that I wrote what I call my theriography about an elemental being who goes through the looking glass into this dimension and has to deconstruct the language to find her way back home again. Hmm. It has many, many chapters, but what I wanted to share, which I think is page four, where my fairy character says, 
It was only in my dreams that I could totally relax, for then I'd join my real family. On the wrong side of the tracks on which old trains of thought convey ideas that steal our minds away by heading off in one direction, at the same time doubling back. I will give you some examples that are favorite ones of mine. The fact that praying sounds so savage, yet it also sounds divine. Or how about the way the prophet has become our bottom line? Hmm. Can there be a briefer summary of millennia of history than these pray and profit metaphors used to justify so-called holy wars? Well, I was always tripping over words, both what was said and what inferred, though I was told it was absurd. I must just follow with the herd. But I'm the very sort of fairy hooked upon a dictionary, not deafened by one definition to another so contrary it misleads all those unwary of its hidden commentary to make false associations through their own vocabulary, such that what we thought brought progress ends up being reactionary. Since so many of the words we speak are anti-evolutionary, it's no wonder that we call our writing paper stationary. <laughs> Such a word is called a pun and looked upon as all in fun. Some say their humor's lowest form, beneath gross bathroom jokes and corn. Well, I believe some puns reveal the way that people really feel. As the flip side of words that we so rarely hear, they're the Freudian slips of the cultural sphere. They're the inadvertent echoes of society's subconscious where the shadow and the spirit in plain view are hidden from us. And I know, if only minimally, they impact us subliminally. <laughs> That was excellent. I think that's a great example of the kind of wordplay you do. And it's very on theme for the show, too. So excellent. Well, I'm so glad. Thank you. I appreciate that. Of course. And the first work of yours that I came across was some prose you deliver in that collective evolution video, Secret Spells of the English Language. And yes. that was something I hoped you could possibly recite early on for the people, because I think it really is the kind of thing that resonates with this audience. And it also includes just so many great elements of that wordplay, if you happen to know that one or have it handy. Yes. So I started collecting words very early and looking at words that have the same sound in different meanings. And while most people dismiss them as lower form of humor as inelegant and unintelligent, just humor. I took them seriously. So here is what I call our premier life sentence, which is that we awake each morning and go off during the weekdays to earn our living at various jobs and undertakings until we come to the weekend. And I explained that what I do is a translation of the English language which I spell T-R-A-N-C-E, with the recognition that words cast spells. So when you translate that life sentence, you remember that a wake is a funeral party for the dead. 
morning is the state we're in when we attend awake. We would have to be in a weekdays to earn the living, since urns are vases for the ashes of the dead. We call our jobs undertakings as we race to meet deadlines. Job itself is a Hebrew word for persecuted, pronounced Job. Mm -hmm. What we get at the end of this perverse bargain with life is weekend. We get the weekend to try and recollect ourselves, but we're running a treadmill. We're running in circles. We greet each other with a very dour salutation, which is hello. And if you just reverse the syllables, it is oh hell. And that is where we are through our own creation. We speak into existence the very nightmares that are inscribed in the language. However, we also overlook that there are direct messages of wisdom that are also available in ordinary words. And I will be delighted to share examples of that. So that's the life sentence. That's the video that went viral on collective evolution. Mm -hmm. So is the life sentence for children is that a child is a new arrival. Someone in the family views it as arrival, a husband, a sibling, whoever. Mm. Not always are they so warmly welcomed. Most of them want to become adult, but at a certain time recognize that most adults are adults. So to become adult is to lose one's intelligence, one's natural intelligence. We have a saying that is out of the mouths of babes because the fresh perception of a young child is often very illuminating and wise. There is no comparable expression for older people because it seems over time we grow less conscious, less connected with the source of our being, the very essence of who we are. Children are taught in school. The word taught, T-A-U-T, means tense. And tenseness is a cause of nearsightedness, I read years ago. So children are taught in school, which means they lose their vision. And it's interesting that we speak of schools of fish that blindly follow each other like flocks of birds. So what child wants to go swim with others in a school of mindlessness? <laughs> the metaphors in the Bible are Jesus and the flock of sheep. Well, sheep are very easily led to slaughter, whatever side of the blade you're talking about, as perpetrator or victim. Hmm. So we have language that's dumbing us down. What child wants to study a lesson? when a lesson lessens the time for self-study, for being out in amongst the wisest beings on the planet, which are the trees and the elements, all of Mother Nature. There is no greater teacher than Mother Nature. There is no reality outside of Mother Nature. Mm -hmm. There's just fake news, fake views, and a world that's like a, a cartoon. It's like a horror comic book at this time. So what child who starts out wise in perception would want to have lessons designated by a self-proclaimed board of education? And indeed they are. And that is an unnatural state 
for a growing, aware, alert being is always an open eye into the infinite. And I mean that as both an EYE and as an identity. I enjoy, as I'm sitting right now with my arms outspread, downloading more divine light and love because that's my whole intention and my whole reason for being. So children through lessons designed by the Board of Education are molded to the popular culture and George Bernard Shaw said, the greatest abortionist is he who would mold a child's character. Mm. So then children go through the transition from child to adult. And we call it adolescence, which is obviously adolescence. If your essence was not already adult, by the time the influx of hormones begins, Believe me, on the other side of that experience, if you are losing consciousness rather than gaining it, you will find it more challenging to connect with yourself, but you still can find your way. Mm. Wow. I just love all that. It's so many good examples of wordplay, especially kind of tilted to the negative polarity that we have, like mourning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. I really like the weekdays and the weekend on the weekend. I think those things are important, the words we use, that you've emphasized, you know, saying good morning to someone is basically saying good grief. Yes. It's just fascinating how that all works out. And I totally agree that children are so insightful because society's programs haven't yet trained them appropriately. And you do get a glimpse of kind of that untainted being when you talk to a child. And that can be pretty refreshing for people who might have gotten away from that or maybe forgotten what it was like and are so stuck in their nine to five consensus reality that it just isn't on their radar anymore. So I think those are all beautiful points. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. And so from your just overall study of language, I mean, it's obviously something you've been looking at deeply for decades. What more can you say about just the general destructive power of language or maybe how you've seen it implemented over the years? Of course, those were some great examples in prose, but just generally speaking, how do you feel about the power or the ability to turn language against us? Idiom, tedium, podium, odium, word, weary, and spellbound. Those who believe that our language is humdrum, have never considered this awesome conundrum. If the word made the world and our world is in anguish, must be time to get free from the spells of our language. For how can we start fresh in this grand new millennium when the words that we use foster disequilibrium? Many riddle our minds with puns, symbols, and rhymes that openly echo the old paradigms, and yet few people notice, for here's what I've found. We use volumes of words, yet are deaf to their sound. So though sound means integrity, strength, and solidity, we act as if word sounds had no such validity. 
Now that English sounds abound around the world, it is essential to explore their hidden metaphor, to realize their full potential. We must repair dualities, for all of these are influential in splitting personalities and making us irreverential. All language is magic, so its spells can be tragic or mystical. And the keys to deciphering its secrets are mystalinguistical, yet they're also accessible at a reasonable decibel. So if you like to play with words and don't think puns are for the birds, then take this flight of fancy now, just on a lark. She'll show you how. To rise above the standard attitude until you reach that grander latitude that helps one see the alchemy that's conjured up by A, B, C. I like it. Great job. <laughs> so I've never performed that. But thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, another great point you make on your website, followed by an important question, is when you say, Given that the Genesis myths of most cultures of the East and West point to the word as the original source, force, and substance of creation, isn't it time we put our articles of faith in the power of word to the ultimate test? And I just really like that because the more I learn about traditional magic, the more it is about reciting the right words or knowing the appropriate names of energies you want to call upon. And it's just such a great point that this really is emphasized in the beginning of what we consider to be the world's more important religious texts from multiple cultures. What more can you say about that importance and the emphasis on it that seems to be so cross-cultural with our origin stories? Well, it seems they all have the same idea that it all began as vibration. Vibration expressed and magnified and filled with intention by a consciousness beyond our understanding. Mm -hmm. And the fact that the universe keeps expanding and that there's so much beauty within it, despite all the negativity that happens, would to me indicate that it's a very positive love energy that is propelling us forward. Consciousness, the word, is the vision of Genesis in many cultures. So since we have been raised to hold that as an article of faith and the connection of God and the Word as one in the same, then our creative voice and consciousness, speaking words, can bring into existence all sorts of things we weren't really intending. So the point that I make in pointing out that it all began with a word is that in this world now where the word is so denigrated and it should be a first article of faith and ethics, thou shalt not use the word to mislead mm. or abuse. I mean, if the word is God, then my goodness, let's be a little more careful. <laughs> so. My vision, my understanding, having seen these secret spells of the language, the subliminal negative messages that create like a psychic undertow 
to the ocean of consciousness. Mm. So there are those words, but there are also what I call the sacred path words. And in addition, and a quick example of that would be earth and heart. They're the same word, different only in the placement of the letter H. So I asked some children once what they thought the significance of that might be. And a little boy of maybe seven or eight said, well, maybe it means that the earth is the heart of the solar system. Hmm. So that's why I say that playing with words in this way, where you don't just take them for granted by some source you know not of, look at them or just set the intention to be informed by language and it will happen all the time and you will be so amazed and delighted with the epiphanies. You will be unpacking the hidden cargo on our trains of thought and I can tell you that is a form of entertainment that anyone can enjoy no matter how difficult your circumstances. Hmm. So as you do that and inform us, we're translating the English language. We're exposing all the secret messages. And I'm going to share something. I'm going to make a note to share with you my poem about country names. I mean, we're living in a world like the Phantom Tollbooth, where everything is named for what it is. But few people take it seriously because it's a pun and it's supposed to be a low form of humor. But no, it isn't. It's the truth being outed on itself because you can't perpetrate a falsehood without some elements of truth to hold it energetically in place. Well said. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. So in the process of looking at words in this way and informing and delighting yourself, I'm telling you, I have turned on so many lights in my brain as a result of letting words inform me. My goodness, I mean, it really is an enlightening process. And why wouldn't it be? The dictionary is the other good book about the word. Only they're all at random and you get to put them together any way you want. You can create your own Genesis myth. And if your Genesis looks like a Holocaust, you can turn that negative energy around toward a positive direction. And you have all that creative force at your service to do what you came here to do, to fulfill your perusia, which is the divine blueprint of your being, in the lowercase letter P-A-R-O-U-S-I-A. But if you capitalize perusia, it means the second coming. And I look at the second coming not necessarily as Jesus Christ coming to save us from ourselves for a second time, a lot of good it did the first time. <laughs> I believe it's about all of us coming to. It's called the second coming. We're meant to come to, come to a recognition of ourselves so we can plug into the universal pipeline of infinite divine love intelligence, be a circuit for it, be a broadcaster of it, an embodiment of it. I mean, I'm telling you, this stuff is being given away for free these days. You don't have to pay a lot of money or go to a mystery school. The mystery is all about us. And the mystery is, how have we stayed so unconscious for so long? So let's use the other good book about the word, the dictionary, to enlighten us. Mm -hmm. And I'll give you an example. Sure, sure. 
So once I was walking on Palisades Park in Santa Monica, overlooking the ocean, and I said to my invisible friends, give me a new word. And they immediately gave me the word beautiful. And it's so self-obvious, one feels embarrassed not to have noticed before. But the true definition of beautiful is be you too full. There is nothing more exquisite than each one of us being our whole sum, S-U-M, our whole sum, the whole package, awakened, ignited self, fully. And the word for that, we know about the word potential, but the word entelechy, which means actualized potential, is a lot less familiar to people. The oak is the entelechy of the acorn. Actually, I've never heard it used in a sentence, but I would think that would hold up. So the oak is the entelechy of the acorn, and each of us has our own enlightened, metamorphosed expression. And it may look very little like our terrestrial self, just as a caterpillar doesn't resemble a butterfly. So we have, no matter how we may have denigrated ourselves, through whatever negative influences were upon us that we accepted and went to town with, however low our self-estimation, our actual capacity and innate essence is infinite intelligence, infinite love intelligence. And I have a piece about that, that there is really nothing smart about a brain without a heart, although it seems to be the ultimate seduction because it brings us unchecked power, but just to bring our darkest hour, for it endows us with the genius for destruction. Hmm. So that's where we are now, where people have gotten carried away with their amplified, electrified, egoic self, Mm. however amped up on whatever, you know, smart pills or whatever. We were certainly moving in that direction. But the point is, no matter how intelligent we are without love, it doesn't hold together. It does not bring, doesn't fill up the black hole in the center of us. And we have someone in the center of us with a big black hole, and that's our current president. Hmm. And we see how it doesn't matter what gets poured into that black hole, how much wealth, how much fame, how many women, how, how many anything, how much power, nothing suffices. Nothing ever will suffice, a parasite in paradise. Hmm. So. Back to words, just start playing with words. So the word beautiful, be you too full, is the definition. It's not look like that person over there who has celebrity, and then maybe you'll be happy. It's discovering who in the heavens are you? Why are you here? You're certainly here for love, for no one would do this for fun. Mm. So... Love is your essence. It's your true nature. You are beauty incarnate. No matter what you may look like to the outside world, know the beauty that is within you and you will illuminate your world. And no matter what you look like, people will be drawn to you. 
and appreciate the light that you shed and share that helps them illuminate themselves and ignite themselves independently. Mm. I love it. I think that's all wise advice. And, you know, you mentioned in that earlier section, the term invisible friends. And at one point on your website, you describe your work as essentially a phonetic Kabbalah woven from direct downloads I've received from Mother Nature. And in other areas, I've heard you allude to elementals or energies that might fall under the category of spirit allies. Yes. Do you feel like you're in contact with other entities? And how do these intelligences fit into your worldview? All right. I am a fairy of the garden variety, which is not an easy thing to be in civilized society. It's challenging to fully flower when no one thinks you're real and harder still to fit right in when you've two wings you must conceal. I had at first believed that all perceived exactly as I did, which is a natural conclusion that one makes when one's a kid, but most especially when the adult world refers to birds and bees, to introduce a child to nature's most delicious mysteries and to explain the way new branches grow on people's family trees. Well, I'd always known each leaf and stone have stories they can tell, and that the trees speak through the breeze just as the seas speak through a shell. Because I share some roots with trees, I read their dancing leaves with ease and even sing with nightingales. My sisters call me Philomela, just as the hummingbirds search flowers to find the lyrics to their song. So I would tune myself to crickets and go chirping all day long. For this was simply second nature, and I thought it what they meant. Can you imagine my amazement when I found out that they didn't? Well, I simply couldn't fathom how I'd gotten to this place since my entire frame of reference comes from such a different space. I thought perhaps that I had wandered through the looking glass and pondered how to find my way outside this box of metaphor and paradox, for I'd come through in upside down town to the king and queen of backward land. I spoke a foreign language which they had to twist to understand. The king was sowing sorrow, and the queen was reaping grief. I held my dreams, but lost my way, confused beyond belief. How ossified the king in patriarchal misconceptions. And how brilliant was the queen in monumental self-deceptions. And I wish that I could say that they were singular exceptions, but they were the rule, as I know you'll confirm with your reflections. Mm. It was as if I'd grown invisible by taking human form, which can lead anyone to wonder why they bothered to be born. 
I was perceived not as an entity with her own divine identity, but as a daughter who must be persuaded to conform. <laughs> so that's page one of my stereography. <laughs> I love it. You're a modern bard of the lost art of language. Thank you. You, know, you mentioned being a fairy. And before we started talking, you had mentioned to me, we were discussing the possibility of the elven kingdom and descendants of that. And I think that's really interesting. I guess, do you think that potentially humans have sources and genetic influences that might be more magical than just plain old homo sapien? Oh, of course we do. We have no idea what veins run through our blood, what veins of gold mm. and silver and green and all the colors. Of course, we come out of the earth. We're made of the earth. And I wrote a piece called Fairy Madonna, Mother Nature's Human Fairy Emissary. It's an article that was published in a fairy magazine, I think. The point of it is the absurdity of thinking that intelligence comes only packaged in the size and shape that we are. And there might not be similar dimensions of existence where the size and shape is very different. Mm -hmm. And all you have to do is be in a tall building or a low-flying airplane and look out and you will see that we actually live in a very tiny toy world. Yes. And we are like tempests in teapots. Our outsized emotions and the forgetting we have done of who we truly are, our own essential elemental nature, informed by our mother nature, that without that, we are movable checker pieces on a big game board. <laughs> Another thing that I found really interesting as I was going through your website and reading your material is it seems like uh, Anne and Whitley Strieber are your neighbors, which really has to make for a really interesting street to live on, I'd say. Yes. Well, a street called Montana in Santa Monica. Mm. So one day I was in the local grocery store and I saw this tall, slender young man at the meat counter, and he looked to me like a reformed vegetarian. But he also looked like a poet. And I said to him, you have the eyes of a poet. And he said, well, I, I write lyrics. I guess yeah, I'm a poet. And I said, in fact, a reincarnated poet. And so then he took me aside, and he told me that this was David Wilcock. I did not know who David Wilcock was. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but he told me that there was a book on him the reincarnation of Edgar Casey. I think this was like 2007 and such. Anyway, he did a reading for me at the time. We became very close friends for a couple of years. So after David moved away on another occasion, I was walking in my neighborhood and I saw a couple strolling together and I initiated a conversation with them. And I learned that they were in Santa Monica because they wanted a cultural life rather than down south where their son lives. So I said, well, if you want a cultural life, then you need to find your way to the home of the artist Lee McCloskey and his amazing wife, Carla, in Malibu. They have events there all the time. And it's like a metaphysical Mensa book club. 
on certain nights. So, and then events of films, all sorts of things. So Whitley and Anne went with me and met the McCloskeys and became good friends. Anne is no longer with us on the physical plane, though very much still in loving communion with Whitley. He just wrote a book about it. Wilcock lived on 12th Street, just below Montana. Whitley's two blocks away and me two blocks from him. So, yes, a very interesting, magical street. Yeah, I would say so. And you mentioned that the Strebers gave you a book by the mythologist William Henry called The Language of Birds, which is pretty important to you. Can you tell us a bit about the contents of that book and how it synced up with the work that you were really doing kind of naturally, independently? Thank you. I, you are just, I really appreciate your introductions, your questions to me, Greg. You, <laughs> you really demonstrate amazing comprehension and ability to create frames for what I'd like to share. So at the end of my very lengthy stereography about the elemental being who has to deconstruct the language, there is a piece called Open Heart Synchrony. And it is about the world we will create when beauty pours forth from our mouths. And when I was writing that, and I can share some of it, I, I know I've done some verse already, and I don't know if that's a favored form for people to receive information or not. I like it. I think it's very unique, and I'm sure we can weave in and out of it. And I'll just ask you questions, and when there's a prose or verse appropriate answer, or you have something in the repertoire, then of course, I would love to hear it. But, you know, I'm sure we can just weave in and out as you deem necessary. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Because what I'm going to share ultimately is the recognition that language is software. That's what I saw when I saw those secret spells. Mm. And that it's filled with cultural biases that are akin to computer viruses that infect our thinking with an antiquated and manipulated vision of reality promulgated by the church as an instrument of mind control at a time when people had to surrender their minds if they wanted to keep their heads about them quite literally. So the idea that we can therefore upgrade language letting go of those hidden biases that have to infiltrate our thinking at various levels of awareness and undermine our certainty of our own true beauty and divinity. So I wrote a piece called Open Heart Synchrony, and I'd like to share at least some part of it. But the point of it was that when I was writing it, I felt like I was really gilding the lily, that I was going to such extremes in painting a picture of the beauty that the world could open and express into if the words we spoke were all filled with beauty and love. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if the word made the world and it did just add the L, you go from word to world, the word does make the world. So this idea, this vision for a land that would appear when what came forth from us through divine inspiration channeling through our hearts and through our throats and out our mouths sounds that are so beautiful, that are so harmonic and that are so inspiring and encouraging of each other because we are all cells in the same body earth. 
So I wrote this piece called Open Heart Synchrony, thinking I'd really gone over the edge. And Mm -hmm. then shortly after I met Anne and Whitley Strieber, they gave me a copy of William Henry's book called The Language of the Birds. Oh, step back another bit. I was performing once at the home of Lee and Carla McCloskey in Zuma Beach. It was a word magic garden party. And I never liked to rehearse. I never liked to know what it was I would be saying because then I would have to be impersonating myself to share it rather than just allowing words to flow through me. So at one point, I spoke out loud to myself in this beautiful garden before about 80 people. I said, okay, what shall I do next? And at that moment, a flock of birds flew out of a tree. And I knew they wanted me to do this poem, Open Heart Synchrony. And afterwards, a woman from France said, in France, we call what you do the language of the birds. But I didn't know what that meant, really, except for puns, I think, are considered the language of the birds. So I didn't know what that meant. But then I get this book from Anne and Whitley, and everything that I imagined is there in the Quran, evidently. Hmm. I didn't make any of this stuff up. I just, I guess, channeled the blueprint (laughs) or the imprint. I don't know. So I have some excerpts, happy to read a few from William Henry's book. Sure, yes. I love the list you have on the website. They're all really insightful and right in line with what I find interesting about this kind of work. So please. Oh, good. Thank you. I also want to share. Last year, the year before, I was performing outdoors. I was doing my piece, Taking Command of the English Language, and about how we can collectively, creatively upgrade the English language to convey a higher frequency of consciousness in our communications and inspire a greater frequency of kindness in our interactions. So I was sharing, taking command of the English language, and I noticed that everybody's eyes were above me. And I looked up, and there was a bird. I'm not sure it was a hummingbird. I think it was. It was spinning in circles over me. And then it went away for a few moments. And then as I continued, it was dancing in the frequency that was emanating between me and divinity. So some of the excerpts, William Henry says this language, sometimes called the green language, is believed to be the holistic language of nature. Understanding this language, we are asked to believe balanced, blended, or integrated Solomon with all of creation. Well, we talk about wanting enlightenment, but can you imagine to be balanced, blended, or integrated with all of infinite mind, divine mind. My goodness, that would feel good. Because it uses phonetic resonance, the language of the birds is called a phonetic Kabbalah, a phonetic language code. This code equates words that sound alike in different languages, connecting word concepts by sound in English. These language connections reveal astonishing literary and historical synchronicities or meaningful coincidences that point to the interconnectedness of all creation. And that's why just picking up any word and playing with it, like you can ask inwardly for support, as I sometimes do, or just 
put out the call and the intention to receive and download new insights. And I'm telling you, it's endless, enlightening entertainment. So once I was writing something about healing and I was out at the ocean's edge walking along and I heard within me, I was given the word repair. To heal is to repair. So it's to bring together the different sides of us, the black and the white, the dark and the light, the day and the night. Every aspect of ourselves, we're all part of the oneness, different shadows, different reflections. And as long as we're moving in an upward direction, we will continually feel more and more joy. Hmm. And the one piece I didn't share, which I think gives real testament to the fact that we're living in a matrix, that this is a cartoon world. I mean, the comic and the cosmic are only different by the letter S. <laughs> I have a piece on country names. but um, Oh, yeah, yeah. I could share that? Sure, absolutely. We mentioned that earlier on, and I think that'd be great to throw in here as well. Well, thank you. At the moment, I don't have it. I haven't had any of these in front of me. They're fortunately in my memory. Wow. So I'll just pray that I, I remember this one as fully as I need to. You've likely never heard before of a homonymic metaphor, but that's a pun that helps one see the drama and absurdity of what we often take to be our bottom line reality. Since a major source of human friction responsible for great affliction is the arrogance with which most cultures designate what's fact or fiction. We might then very well expect, because our words and worlds connect, some state to state with ardent zeal that it alone on earth is real. And since its people Israelite, they wrote the book on wrong and right. We have believed now for millennia in some cosmic schizophrenia that bifurcates the universe so that the righteous and perverse have separate realms on which to dwell with earth, the battleground, where hell and heaven's denizens fight for our guilt and innocence, while we, with nothing much to lose except our souls, are forced to choose twixt God or mammon feast, or famine, so well disguised we must examine deep within our heart of hearts to see these worlds are worlds apart. This purview helps us understand why the Irish live in Ireland, why the Romans roamed, why the French have Gaul, and why it is U.S. is against you all. It's why colonists have said for eons to conquered peoples, now European, and why Hades, as all will agree, in its singular form is pronounced Haiti. But since most folks register strong objection to the thought that archetypes might have sound connections, there's few who register humor or shock to hear the world's sex capital called Bangkok. Hmm. I once looked up Bangkok in my Random House Dictionary, and the definition was a small port for seamen <laughs> and the capital of Thailand. Wow. Yeah. And so who gets caught sexting from the capital but someone named Wiener? 
I mean, this is like the phantom toll booth. We're in a world <laughs> such unseen clues can make it seem we're sleeping through a waking dream for many of their names, I find, are symbols for our states of mind. So we can, we're living in a phantasm we have conjured collectively. I'm simply proposing an experiment where we put our articles of faith in the power of the word to the ultimate test. And we become people who are speaking beauty, not sheeping beauty or sleeping beauty, but speaking beauty and see where that takes you in your own life as well as out into the world as we share more and more of these neologisms with each other. Hmm. A great experiment indeed. I would love to see that. And U.S. against us all, that's a great line. So many great lines in there. And I also do love that point you made about Anthony Weiner. I've also thought like, man, is a simulation breaking down? We got Anthony Weiner showing his penis to people. Bernie Madoff made off with everybody's money. Yes, It's yes. almost like these characters are just put up on the TV and just acting out some kind of weird play for us. But That's how it looks to me. <laughs> well... Uh, I guess one other question, a simple one. Do you have a favorite word? What is my favorite word? Well, I think at the moment, I guess omnificent is my favorite, which means possessing full creative power, which we all have. We are all omnificent, though no one knows that word. <laughs> so that is a favorite word, but I'm tending more toward what words are wanting to birth through me. So one word because I believe that Freud was correct, that everything comes down to pleasure. It is all the pleasure principle. However, he's got stuck on the first two chakras. But the more we ascend in consciousness, the more exquisite our pleasure becomes. And we have intercourse with everyone through loving kindness, through simple acts of loving kindness. Kindness is, is like candy for the heart. So I created a word for that. And it is metatranscensuous suprasexual parahedonism with the caveat, accept nothing less. And that's the exquisite pleasure that comes through loving acts of kindness everywhere we go and words of beauty that inspire and reflect the best in other people. My goodness, you can... And I do very often go around <laughs> delighting myself while spreading flowers of verbal fragrances and hopefully it's creating a garden of delight. Ah, well, I think it is. Touche, Laurel. Uh, very cool. Thank you. Of course. Thank you for being here. And just remind the people before we go where they can follow up on your work and dig deeper if they like what they've heard. Thank you so much. So the website, wordmagicglobal.com. And for those who are wanting more work, there's, there's plenty of material there. There's the two books I have for sale, and there will be a free ebook. I will be 
giving away the poem Open Heart Synchrony that was my elaborate unfoldment of the beauty that comes when everyone's speaking in a way that's as harmonizing to Mother Earth as bird songs and cricket choirs, that which Whitley Strieber, through the language of the birds, let me know, was part of ancient mythology. I will be giving that away for free. There's a subscribe button that you'll see on the website, and it will be a delight to have connection with you and communication. Please send in your inspired words. My name is Laurel Erica. My email is laurelerica at gmail.com. And if you are, if you have an inspired book that you are writing and you want some consulting on it or some editing, I have a second website, laurelerica.com to support you in your literary aspirations and creations. So thank you very much. Awesome. And thank you so much for being here. It's been a real pleasure, a very unique show full of insight and little nuggets in there. So I really enjoyed it. And I really liked the way you answered questions in verse, because it's just something that is a seemingly lost art. And I think you can translate a lot of wisdom through it. And it's just not done nearly enough. So thanks for keeping the art alive. And thanks for sharing it with us. Do take care out there. You too. Love and blessings to you and all. You too. Sweet Count Olaf's uncle people, Laurel, Erica. (laughs) I do hope you enjoyed that. Sometimes I like to go a bit outside of the box and see if we can't get someone really creative, especially if it can be something that's ultimately positive. Is that weird? (laughs) I know this show can get pretty depressing sometimes, and I like to throw in something that livens it up but also doesn't deny the harsh realities of modern society. And when I think about old nursery rhymes and some of that stuff, maybe it's those childhood stories that actually did seed rebellion in me. Because you got a perspective of school is sucking away my childhood, adults are just loud and crabby, everyone's trying to crush your spirit, and you got to fight to keep that magic alive. And the system is not your friend. It's where the magic goes to die. (laughs) There used to be a certain flavor to some of the stories that I liked as a kid that had that sort of essence. Even Charlie Brown had the wah, 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 wah for adults, and that was just awesome on the surface of it. You know, I don't have kids, but I would definitely share some of this with them if I did. I even love to get Laurel talking about marijuana. A lot of that is in the Plus show, but it is just something that made me laugh. It was just a funny juxtaposition, or I guess funny that she would just be honest about that. It was refreshing. I was refreshed. But if Netflix or Hulu wanted to do a series with a modern Mrs. Rogers, I think she would be great at talking to children without talking down to them. Because I often think about how I would put some alternative ideas in a kid's head without beating them over the head with how depressing the world can be, and I think stuff like this could be a good start. I want my kids to form good roadmaps, not be naive, but also not be depressed. I was talking to Alex Sakaris the other day about just the typical questions I get and people saying, how do you get into this conspiracy material all day? Isn't it depressing? And I'm like, no, what I do now is not depressing. Standing at a cash register for nine hours a day, that was depressing. So I kind of want my kids to understand The land of adults is not that fun. 
Anyway, if you thought Laurel was cool, do drop her a line. I know she was sweating it a little bit, but I would love to see her get some messages of appreciation. She is on Facebook at laurel.erica. And as always, she stuck around to talk to me for a second hour for plus subscribers, which is where we get into the questions of where does creativity really come from and how do we better tap into natural knowledge? Of course, the power of marijuana, John Dee's study of language. Obviously, he had a knack for it. He went through a hell of a lot of trouble to record and decode Enochian. We also talked about internet shorthand, emojis, and the regression of language in general, legalese, and just language and culture around the world. So, a breath of fresh air in this stale reality, wordmagicglobal.com. I love you guys. Thanks for sticking with me. And I'll catch you soon with two shows that I just got recorded and am really psyched about releasing. Until then, your move, dream crushers, spellcasters of our deeply coded communication and wreckers of reality, your frickin' move. This is important. Hear what I said. I'm trying to tell you It's not paranoia, not in my head It's just the hard truth Knocked on your door while I still can To ask you a question Cause I know your head is still in the sand Don't be sheep to your slaughter for the rest of your life Oppressed, oppressed, but you're getting woke You say you don't want to be stressed until the day you die Tough luck, my friend Did you get the memo? Can't you see that we're so screwed? Don't you know we're our kung fu? Can't you just admit we're screwed? I'm gonna tell you this anyway It's a scary dark world But we don't have a choice It seems we're stuck here But you can find noses Drown out the noise Now use that altar End up your magic game And listen to THC You know you go with the entities If you ever see the UFO Don't be sheep to your slaughter For the rest of your life Oppressed, oppressed but you're getting woke You say you don't want to be stressed Until the day you die Tough luck, my friend Did you get the memo? Can't you say that we're so screwed? Don't you know we're our kung fu? Can't you just admit we're screwed? I'm gonna tell you this anyway It's a scary dark world
sheep till you slaughter for the rest of your life. Oppressed, oppressed, but you're getting woke. You say you don't want to be stressed until the day you die. Tough luck, my friend. Did you get the memo? Can't you say that we're so screwed? Don't you know we're our kung fu? Can't you just admit we're screwed? I'm gonna tell you this anyway. It's a scary dark world. Just say 